Inside the Masson Newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Ball Man Count. Now, Brendan Mortensen here with you as always on a very important day uh, for baseball and more importantly, softball, as the two Titans will clash this evening. My softball team in Baltimore against Brendan's softball team in Baltimore, which was helpfully named the Baltimore O's. Yeah. Mine has, I don't even remember our team's name, has nothing to do with uh, Baltimore or the city. That's kind uh, of a tough look for you there, Paul. You don't I, even know what your team's name we've is? Only, I've Where's only, the camaraderie? No, there's, there. Well, look, between the lines, we're friends. We're like Shaq and Kobe, you know? We, we, we can we can compliment each other very well, but then off the court, we don't really spend much time together, you know? Off the field, it's, that, we do our own things, but we come together, we win championships. We sure. are We are 0-3. Right, I was going to but, say, if by winning championships you mean not winning any games, I, I agree. The thing is, I thought I was the worst player on the team, and then I checked the box scores because I missed a game last week, and our team lost 15-2. to two. So, therefore, and that's our worst loss of the season, so therefore I can't be the worst player on the team. Because is that how that works? I They had our worst loss of the season when I wasn't there. Right. So, but I also, think I you add were some there, kind of value. You could have lost 17-2 to two or 15-0. to zero. Um, in theory, in theory, but I think we're going to, we're going to determine, you know, who has dominance on this podcast. We played yeah. two weeks in a row, so we could split the series. It's a big two weeks. It's a massive two weeks. I'm already locked in. Have you been keeping track of your stats so far? This kind season? of, I, I think I keep track of what I do on like a game by game. I don't think I remember what I've them. done over the last three. Got to compile these stats. I suppose I do. Uh, I don't know. Neither of us has a homer. No. A lot of infield hits. A lot of infield hits. That is that is my game. I put the ball on the ground, and I beat out infield singles. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the only way to do it. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I I'm don't, I never pitch. The same guy pitches for us, but I'm going to, you know, tell him maybe uh, don't be afraid to brush you off the plate. Yeah. Give you a little inside high cheese. And then as soon as you're up, I'm just going to be in center field yelling, weak hitter, move the outfield in. No threat. On the yeah, field. I mean, yeah. I'm gonna when you come up, I'm gonna jog off the field. I'm gonna say it's already. It's you know, yeah, not if, needed. If you come up with two outs, I'm gonna say you know third out. Just he's striking. Just out. run off. Just the field. not. There's no yeah. point. We don't even need to be here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of smack talk happening. Uh, it's gonna be interesting to see what big uh, night what happens. All right. Big 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 day for the Orioles yesterday. Uh, the franchise as a whole. That would be the promotion of Adley Rutschman. That's the big news that we're going to discuss off the bat. We're also going to talk about some of the prospects, seasons that they've had so far. Some of the top prospects in the system have experienced some troubles and whether that clouds our perspective of the rebuild as a whole. And I think we'll take it in a case-by-case basis to discuss 
how much confidence we have in these prospects to be able to bounce back uh, and come back from the struggles that they've experienced this season. But one guy who has not struggled at all this year, that would be Adley Rutschman. He has been utterly dominant in AA Bowie, and I think we all expected, honestly, for him to get called up a little bit sooner than August 9th to AAA Norfolk because AA Bowie, it, it's been clear for, I would say, a couple weeks right now that he has had very little to prove at the AA level. Yeah, that was kind of the argument with promoting Grayson Rodriguez as quickly as the Orioles did. It was kind of a matter of what else did he have to prove at that lower level, and Adley Rutschman has just played so well so far at double A that there really wasn't anything left for him to do there. He was already playing fantastic defense. He was hitting 275 with 18 home runs. He had an OPS over 900, slugging over 500, on base close to 400. There was really nothing left for him in Bowie, I don't think, and now he gets a chance to go up to triple A, face some harder competition, and see what he can do there. Yeah, and I think that part of the reason it happened on that Sunday is the Bay Sox were out of town. They waited until Sunday night for him to come back on the team bus, grab his stuff from his apartment probably in Bowie before he yeah. heads up to Norfolk. That would be my guess. Uh, but honestly, I, I think for people, fans have been clamoring for it for a while now because the further it got along in the season, the more it became apparent that he was not going to make his big league debut in 2021. And I think that's still where we stand now at this point because – August 9th, now the, the minor league season is longer than it has been in previous years because they started a month later. Uh, they rolled right through the All-Star break. They don't have any kind of All-Star break, and they're just going into September. Uh, and Adley won't get to experience any playoffs with Norfolk. That team is under 500. So he will get a good amount of games in Norfolk. It's not like the season, you know, typically the season ends at the end of August, and then you have September call-up. So it's not like he's getting three weeks there. He's getting a couple months in Norfolk. However, that's not going to be enough time for him to show that he is big league ready. And I don't think that the Orioles are in any rush to move him up uh, to the big leagues in 2021. And the fact that he gets promoted one week into the month of August pretty much takes a 2021 big league debut off the table. I think it's interesting to look at because I think if the plan was to have Adley Rutschman debut at some point in 2021, he was probably playing well enough for that to happen. I think if the plan was, okay, we want Adley Rutschman up at the Major League team by August, they probably would have moved him past Double A Bowie quicker than they did. I think he was playing well enough to warrant a promotion earlier than this. But I think it's pretty clear to us now that the plan was just to have Adley Rutschman play a full season of minor league baseball. And I don't think there was ever really a plan to have him debut in the majors this year, unless he was hitting like 500 in the minors. Yeah, it, which is a shame, I think, just because I understand it from their perspective because this guy, this is his first full season of professional baseball. Right. He only had half a season in 2019 because he got drafted in the middle of that year. And obviously spent a couple months at the alternate site in 2020, uh, but that's the extent of his exposure to professional ball. So I understand wanting to take it slow, but I can also understand the frustration of Orioles fans when you see Bobby Witt Jr. already mashing in AAA, and he's been there for a few weeks, a guy that was drafted second overall behind Adley Rutschman, Andrew Vaughn, who was drafted third overall behind Adley Rutschman in 2019, already at the big league level and making an impact 
uh, for the Chicago White Sox. And considering Bobby Witt Jr. was a high school prep player when he was drafted, Adley Rutschman spent three years in college. So you would think that he would be on a faster track. But clearly the organization is not going to let other players' timelines dictate and other organizations' timelines for their top prospects dictate their plan for Adley Rutschman. And, and ultimately, it just comes down to his development. They obviously don't aren't making a playoff push this season. It's not like they're trying to squeeze him up there so that he can make an impact and be your starting catcher in the final month of the season so that you can make the playoffs. They're focused entirely on his development, and they clearly think that, that he benefited from that added time at AA Bowie and that now is the right time to, to push him up to Norfolk. Yeah, and you can't really compare him to the other top prospects in the game because the other top prospects, like you mentioned, the Royals are notorious for moving their prospects up very, very quickly, so it's not really surprising that Bobby Witt Jr. is already in AAA. The Chicago White Sox are competing for a playoff spot, competing for a pennant at this point in the American League. Yeah. They needed Andrew Vaughn as their DH because he was just the best hitter that they had in the system. If Andrew Vaughn was in Baltimore, he's probably in AAA at this point because the Orioles just aren't making a playoff push. Even Wander in Tampa. I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays, again, are making a playoff push. They're trying to win the AL East, and they know that promoting Wander Franco is going to help them win that division. And so you need to move those guys up quicker. The Orioles are in no rush to do that with Adley Rutschman because obviously they're not competing for a playoff spot this year like those other top teams are. Yeah, so at this point, you know, that while a debut in 2021 is off the table, I think for Adley, 2022 should be the year. Assuming yes. he stays healthy through the final couple months of the season and through the offseason spring training, I assume that he will be making his debut 100% in 2022 when that happens is tbd and i don't think he's going to be an opening day catcher for the orioles i would expect him to make his debut probably in may or june of 2022 but that that timeline is still on so that's okay uh, but it's just looking back several months uh, it seemed like 2021 could have been the year uh, for him to debut and and for O's fans not to get a glimpse of him, I understand can be a little frustrating. Well, going into the year, I think we were looking at it from a purely talent perspective because Adley Rutschman was talented enough to move through the minor league system pretty quickly. Again, if we were going just based on the numbers, he could have moved up from AA Bowie probably a few weeks ago. He could have been in AAA Norfolk for a while now, and then we could have seen potentially an August call-up for Adley this year. But the Orioles are not just going purely based on the talent and major league need. They're keeping the priority on making sure they can give Adley Rutschman more time than even needed to develop in the minor leagues. So if that means holding him out for this year, so be it. Yeah. Well, we will see where he ends up, uh, how he does in the final couple months of the season with Norfolk. It does stink from our media perspective side, and also probably from some Orioles fans' side, that he's now four hours away instead of 45 minutes away from Baltimore. Right. So we, we I don't think we're going to be making the trip down to Norfolk for the rest of the season, so this may be the last time we saw him in, in person. However, he is still closer, while not closer literally physically to Baltimore, he's closer metaphorically to Baltimore. Yeah. In Norfolk. Um, all right. Let's talk about the big league club real quickly because Jorge Mateo, talk about former uh, highly touted prospects. 
Jorge Mateo was a guy that the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Padres earlier this week, thrust right into the action as they have done for several guys in this 2021 season. Uh, but an overall rundown of Jorge Mateo, Brendan, for those who have not followed his career from his days back with the, in the Yankee system in 2012, give us a give us an overview of Jorge Mateo. Yeah, he became well known as one of the top prospects in the Yankee system. The thing with Jorge Mateo is he's never really been a good hitter throughout the minor leagues. He's kind of similar to Billy Hamilton in the sense that if he gets on base, he is absolutely electric. He once stole over 80 bases yes. in a single minor league system, which is insane. Season, so, yeah. So he has the speed to be a, a ridiculous threat on the bases. I think, according to StatCast, he is the third fastest player in Major League Baseball, according to sprint speed. Behind, like, Trey Turner and... Yeah, Who else? I, I think even... it's I think it might be Billy Hamilton Billy Ham- is yeah. the other one, <laughs> but he can also play all over the diamond because of that speed. Yeah, he, he can play mostly infield. I think it's going to be the plan for the Orioles this year. Brandon Hyde was saying that he's probably going to play mostly up the middle at second base and shortstop. But with that speed, he also has the potential to play center field. He's played the corner outfield for the Padres. He also played third base in a pinch for the Orioles when Ryan Mountcastle went out with injury. So he can really be anywhere and at just 26 years old a former top prospect it seems like pretty much a perfect fit for the Orioles like why not take a swing on Jorge Mateo at this point I saw some people throwing out uh uh, the idea that they could claim him when he was DFA'd by the Padres uh because it just made the most sense for them to claim him uh yeah he's had an interesting career so far signed as I mentioned uh, as an amateur free agent back in 2012 with the Yankees he was traded to the Oakland A's as part of the Sonny Gray deal yeah he was like the centerpiece yeah. of that Sonny Ga- Sonny Gray trade and then traded to the Padres for a player to be named later in June 2020 spent part of the you know at most of the 2020 season at the big league level but bouncing all around I mean you mentioned that glove being able to play everywhere He's probably not going to be above average at any one of those positions, but his versatility is key. I mean, he played literally in in just 79 career games uh, for the Padres, center, left, right, short, (laughs) short, third base, and second base. Yeah. So he really just pitching, first base, and catching, he just has not done yet. That's about it. Yeah. Um, He provides value at the very least as a utility guy who can fill in defensively at pretty much any position you need him to. And a pinch runner, if you need, because there's probably not a better pinch runner in all of baseball at this point. Yeah, and I I don't want to oversell. You mentioned his bat not being there. And, you know, we don't want to oversell the kind of impact he's going to have with this team. But he's worth a shot at this point. Yes, absolutely. Especially considering what the Orioles have at the big league level in the infield. It's been, look at the opening day infield. It's a radically different group than the group they have out there now. Michael Franco is still at third, but... You know, Freddie Galvis is back in Philadelphia. Rio Ruiz is, is in Colorado now. So they have the, the middle infield has been constantly shifting. Uh, Ramon Urias obviously has taken over for the most part at shortstop. Uh, so they have guys that they can move in and out, but they could also use somebody off the bench. I think Brandon Hyde is, is we, we've seen the way that he's used Ryan McKenna in the outfield as a late game defensive replacement if needed. And then if you need some speed in your lineup, you can just throw Ryan McKenna out there, and you're not going to expect him to hit great. Ryan McKenna is still hitting just under the Mendoza line, um, but he provides a little bit of something, and you hope that he's going to develop further into a better hitter. And the Orioles really haven't 
had much speed this season yeah. outside of Cedric Mullins. I mean, you've had Austin Hayes, who's fast, but he's been banged up and really hasn't been running at his full potential. You've had Ryan McKenna that's kind of bounced back and forth between the majors and AAA. Outside of those two, that that's really it. Cedric Mullins is really the only consistent speed threat that the Orioles have had at this point. And with the additions of Jorge Mateo and then you get Richie Martin back, all of a sudden there's a lot more speed in the Orioles lineup and it makes it pretty exciting at second base shortstop, that speedy com combination for double plays. And then in the lineup, I mean, the eight, nine hitters are really, really fast. And if yeah. they get on base, they're a threat. We've seen already what Jorge Mateo can do. He just causes chaos. Yeah, and I think Brandon Hyde is just going to like the idea of having somebody who can play multiple positions. We've seen yeah. because this team is so desperate for pitching that they've gone on their 26-man roster with 14 pitchers at, a lot of, uh, at, at several points during the season. That just leaves such a thin bench because you have your backup catcher and then you only have a couple guys that you can use out there. You're already, you know, kind of saddled with two first baseman DH types in Mancini and Mountcastle who can't really play elsewhere. So having somebody who is truly versatile, who at least has the big league experience of playing these other positions, we don't want another Ryan McKenna stuck at third base in extra innings that we saw a couple months ago, uh, you know, kind of situation. So uh, that will certainly help. And then looking ahead a little bit, and this is this will be an entire offseason conversation, what do you think over the, the final month and a half of the season, Jorge Mateo needs to do to kind of show that he can stick on this club through the 2021-22 offseason and be on this opening day roster for 2022? I mean, I think the book with Jorge Mateo throughout his career coming up through the minors is that if you can get this guy to hit like 230, he's going to be valuable because he's really good once he's on base. He can play every position that you need him to, and he's got elite speed. He yeah. has top five in baseball type of speed. So his average right now hovering around 220, if that can stay around 220, 230, I think he provides value to the Orioles and provides enough value to stick on this team next year because we can't overemphasize just how important it is that he can play every position that you need him to. Yeah. And with this Orioles team that has struggled with some injuries and really hasn't had a ton of consistent starters at positions around the diamond, you can use Jorge Mateo pretty much anywhere you need to as a plug-and-play in the lineup. I think he sticks around next year. Yeah, I think, like you said off the top, I think it's it's an ideal pairing of player, need, player opportunity and team need. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just makes sense for both at this point. And we'll see, you know, maybe... It, at this point, maybe we're looking at the 2022 opening day roster and we're saying, well, Jermai Jones is already here and Ramon Arias is locked down shortstop and, you know, maybe they sign a third baseman and there's not a need for him. But at this point, it even just makes then, sense. though, I think he's valuable off the bench. True. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Going to be interesting. This team has no internal candidates for third base next year. No. I mean, at least for opening day. Ryland Bannon, maybe. Uh, We'll talk about him in yeah. a bit, but maybe is going to join the team next year uh, during the season 2022, but he's clearly not going to be, unless he starts mashing the ball over the final month and a half of the season, you know, he's not going to be your opening day third baseman next year. So they may have to sign a third baseman. And I know Mateo is mostly an outfielder shortstop, but maybe they try him at third a little bit. Yeah. They used him in at third is in an emergency situation a few days ago. So might as well. Exactly. All right. So we teased it earlier, but the prospects in this system, 
it seemed like a few months ago we were looking at Adley Rutschman, we were looking at Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, the big three, and saying those three are not only performing up to our expectations, but they're exceeding our expectations. And we were seeing some solid performances from some other uh, guys that were lower in the top 30. So we saw good performances from Terran Vavra. We saw Joey Ortiz was all of a sudden making a name for himself uh, in Bowie. And we thought the Orioles were in a great position for almost all of their top prospects to take a major step up in 2021, which is exactly what they need. But we're sitting here on August 9th, and I'm looking at the Orioles' top 30, and some guys have not progressed to the level that I think we expected them to this season. And there are three main reasons for it. One, injuries. Two, performance. And injuries and performance as the third. Yeah, I mean it's just a Venn diagram. And uh, guys that are all, you know that have been great, Adley Rutschman still has been great. Grayson Rodriguez has still been great. You've seen other guys like uh, Robert Newstrom has been great. Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. Kyle Bradish. Yes. Um, so those guys we're not going to talk about because those guys have been awesome and they've done exactly what f- we've hoped that they would do at this point. But there are some underperformers. So far, so I broke it down into those three categories. Let's start with the guys who are struggling with injuries, and that's probably the biggest reason why they have not taken the step up in 2021 that we expected them to. Yeah, the first obvious injury is Heston Kerstad. We have not seen him play minor league baseball so far through no fault of his own. It wasn't even an injury that he got while playing baseball. So Heston Kerstad, it's just tough to evaluate at this point what he is going to give the Orioles, when he is going to give the Orioles. It's just an unfortunate circumstance that nobody could have foreseen when the draft was occurring. So Heston Kerstad at this point is just kind of a a wait-and-see case, and you're going to be happy when he's back on the baseball field. Yeah, and I always struggle, like we said back on draft night, I always struggle to when I, and I kind of cringe when I hear him used as an example of, a certain narrative when he's fit into a certain narrative of on, you know, the underslot pick or um, you know, the underperforming prospect, because he doesn't fit those narratives. He, his story is unique and it is unfortunate in the way that it is through no fault of his own, it's through no fault of the Orioles own. It is just something that was unlucky, truly. Yeah. Uh, obviously suffering from uh, myocarditis. Uh, Michael, I said recently, we hope to get a positive, a uh, bit of information coming from update from him soon at some point, but for the time being, he has stopped his baseball activities in Sarasota, Florida, and and trying to get back to things. It's a serious issue, you know. I, I for people who don't know exactly what myocarditis is, it's a it's an inflammation of the heart muscle. For a guy who's 22 years old and suffering from that, is is not good, and it's it's uh, uh, unfortunate from his perspective, and we just hope for the best from him so I don't want to fit him into a certain box here and use him as an example of any kind of narrative here we just hope that he gets for his sake that he is healthy that he's able to come back onto the baseball field and do what he loves because we know that the potential is there with this kid um, and we just hope that he's able to get fully healthy yeah it's a similar feeling to the Trey Mancini situation yes quite honestly I mean obviously the priority was Hope Trey Mancini is healthy, he is safe, he is all of those things. That's priority number one. If you get any baseball out of him, 
fantastic. That's that's the, that's awesome. Yeah. But that's really not the priority. So Heston Kerstad falls into the prospects that have been dealing with injuries, but he's kind of in his own separate yes. category where we are just hoping for the best for Heston Kerstad. The baseball is secondary. Yes, exactly. And so he's kind of in his own, but that's why we mentioned him first when it comes to injuries. Yes. Now we can get into the other guys that have had baseball injuries you know yes. uh so dl hall a guy that a couple months ago was having a lights out season for double a Bowie, the orioles uh number four prospect in their system made seven starts in 2021 a 313 era 16 strikeouts per nine uh and his walk rate was down which was excellent for him it still wasn't great still was walking four and a half batters per nine However, considering that number was at six in high A Frederick in 2019, that was a, a positive step in the right direction. Seemed like he could even be bumped up to AAA Norfolk uh, in this season, even though he's just 20, 22 years or 20, 20, 22, 22 years old. However, uh, suffers an injury, and eventually now it seems like he's unlikely to return this season, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, Deal Hall was. On a fast track to AAA Norfolk, I yeah. think. We saw what the Orioles did with Grayson Rodriguez. He wasn't getting challenged in high A, so they move him up to AA. D.L. Hall, he had a 3-1-3 ERA in AA Bowie. So he was still, I mean, he was getting challenged a little bit, but I think at some point pretty soon after his first seven starts, maybe they give him 10, and if he's still succeeding over his next three starts, he would probably get bumped up to AAA. And I think... He's, it's unfortunate, too, because he probably would have been on even a faster track to the majors than somebody like Grayson Rodriguez. We yeah. could have seen D.L. Hall make his major league debut next year. I think would have been possible if he was at AAA at the end of this year, started next year with AAA Norfolk, and then maybe some way halfway through the season, he gets called up to the majors. I think it would be optimistic to think that D.L. Hall makes his major league debut next year. I would assume he probably, if he is out for the season, he probably starts the year again at AA Bowie. I would assume he moves his way up pretty quickly to AAA Norfolk. Maybe he makes his major league debut next year, but that timeline, which looked pretty clear before this injury, is now a little bit fuzzy. Yeah, I think they could, in theory, start him out in AAA Norfolk to start next year, but I agree with you. I think if I had to bet right now, I would think he would start in Bowie yes. next season, just because seven starts is not a whole lot. And even though he was dominant in those seven starts, they just want to make sure that I see a similar path to what they did with Mike Bauman, who is our, one of our, our guys we're going to talk about next. But, you know, Mike Bauman, who was dominant in the double A level in 2019 in a small sample size, suffers an injury. And then they say, all right, well, get your feet back under you in double A Bowie, you know, make sure that you are confident in your stuff and that you are, you're back to, where you were pre-injury, and then we'll move you up. So I think that's probably more likely. Yeah, D.L. Hall still has a chance to be a pretty quick riser. I just think he starts next year in AA Bowie, which is unfortunate because it probably bumps him down a level and bumps him back at least a few months in his progression. And Grayson Rodriguez, we've talked about it before, might hop him. Uh, yeah. However, I do think, if I've done my math correctly, uh, that they have to add D.L. Hall to their 40-man roster this offseason in order to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. Being on the 40-man roster helps because, you know, you're, <laughs> the barriers of you being called up to the big leagues are removed at that point. Right. So uh, that will certainly help him, at least, uh, in theory. Uh, let's talk about Mike Bauman real quickly. Number seven prospect. And he doesn't quite fit into this category as well because he was injured 
uh, suffered a right flexor strain at the alternate site at the end of 2020. Uh, they were hoping that he would be fully ready to go by, you know, the beginning of the next season. He makes some rehab starts, goes up to uh, two starts with Delmarva, then makes 10 starts with Bowie. Uh, and numbers overall, just glancing at them, not great. Four, eight, nine ERA and 38 innings uh, with Bowie in those 10 starts. But his last four starts in Bowie, 205 ERA over 22 innings pitched. Starting to look, and then they eventually bump him up to Norfolk. Starting to look like this guy is is getting back to the Mike Bauman that we saw dominate in 2019. Yeah, I think there's a chance that Mike Bauman gets called up to the majors this year because the Orioles need pitching help, and Mike Bauman has looked really good at AAA, and we're going to talk about some other guys that should be looking a lot better in AAA than they are and have kind of disappointed at that level. Mike Bauman, since coming back from injury, is kind of the one that hasn't. The injuries did set him back, which is why he is still in this category. We thought going into the season that Mike Bauman could potentially be a July call-up for the Orioles. Now it looks like he still has the potential to be a a late August, early September call-up for the Orioles because they need pitching help just that desperately in the rotation right now. I think there's a chance, but the injury certainly did set him back. And he he has made two starts with uh, AAA Norfolk so far. In 11 innings, a 1.64 ERA. So he's he's looking very good. Yes, uh, which is good to see. Uh, and then another guy who was looking great pre-injury, Taron Vavra, uh, one of the guys that they got at the trade deadline in 2020. He was hitting 2.63, a 4.13 on base percentage uh, in 30 games with Bowie, but he hasn't played since June 13th with a lower back strain. A guy that we thought might be a sleeper candidate to maybe be the Orioles' second baseman of the future years down the line, but it is tough to see him sidelined with a an injury that we thought another guy that keeps hitting well, keeps um, you know looking good in the infield, might be in Norfolk, but that seems to be off the table for 2021. Yeah, it's unfortunate because Taron Vava really could have been another quick riser. He's 24 years old at this point. He can play multiple positions. He can play second. He can play a little bit of short. He can play center field. I think Taron Vavra, at this point, probably could have been close to the majors at second base, considering the Orioles don't really have a solid option at second at this point. He would have been at least in the conversation with Jemai Jones, I think, at AAA Norfolk. So Taron Vavra, if it weren't for the injury, he started the season on fire, had an OPS over one. He could have moved up to AAA Norfolk pretty quickly and then maybe even potentially to the majors this year, if not next year. But now you're looking at a 24-year-old who's going to be 25 next year, and he's still at the double-A level. I would assume that if he's out for the rest of the year, he's probably going to be at double-A starting next year as well, which is kind of a tough look for your 10th-ranked prospect when he's 25 years old. Ideally, you would like him at Norfolk banging on the door a little bit to the majors. And I think he is another guy, again, if I've done my math correctly, uh, who... They have to add to the 40-man roster this offseason. So he will have that as an added benefit. However, yeah, I, I agree. I think he's going to be a uh, starting buoy, assuming he doesn't get any or many at-bats the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, all right. So we, t- we covered the injuries. Performance. And for me, this comes down to three guys. Dean Kramer, Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells. To varying degrees. By far the most concerning is Dean Kramer. We came into the season thinking Dean Kramer would be the second-best starter on this roster. We were wrong. Dean Kramer struggled out of the gate. We saw him dominate in three starts last year in 2020. Dominated a 
potent Yankees lineup on more than one occasion. Struggled in his last start in 2020. We thought, all right, he'll be fine for 2021. He was not. No, he uh, was not. In in uh, 12 starts in Baltimore, 7-2-5 ERA. And then the, the more concerning thing for me, Brendan, is seven games in Norfolk, a 6-8-8 ERA. I, we can't really diagnose his issues from afar. I think if the Orioles knew exactly what was going on with Dean Kramer, it probably would have been fixed by now. I think it is incredibly uh, concerning to see the kind of struggles and the, the step back that he has taken in 2021. Yeah, he's got the stuff, which yeah. is the most puzzling part about it. And there's no reason that Dean Kramer should be struggling at AAA Norfolk at this point after a season where he demonstrated, like you said, Paul, that he could beat the Yankees, he could beat the Red Sox, and he was pitching well, and you could see the stuff, and we were excited by the stuff to the point where we both said going into the season that Dean Kramer had the potential to have the best ERA on the yeah. team and be the solid number two starter in this rotation. And like you said, he's struggling in AAA to the point where he's not even starting all of his games. He's yeah. pitched in nine. He's started seven. Yeah. So Dean Kramer is not even a viable option for the Norfolk Tides at this point. That's a huge drop-off from the number two starter in the Orioles rotation to not even really being a consistent option in AAA. The stuff is there, which is, I guess, the encouraging part about it, where you would hope at some point he can figure something out with his command, with his off-speed stuff, where he can put it together and get back to the guy that showed really great flashes against the Yankees and Red Sox. But I don't know. At this point, he just hasn't pushed the right buttons, I guess. And we've seen it before. We've seen guys come back from it before. I, obviously, the most uh, recent example is Cedric Mullins, who comes into an Orioles team that needs uh, an in injection of youth in 2018 uh, when he made his big league debut um, and looks good. Hit, I think he hit like 275 in that 2018 season uh, with, or 235, but he was hitting well. Uh, yeah, I'm butchering the stats here, but he was hitting, he looked he was, good he enough. He looked good, He yes. looked good enough in the final month or two of the season in 2018 to the point where you thought this guy could be your your center fielder of the future, and then is their center fielder an opening day of 2019 and just can't hit, and hits 088, goes down to Norfolk, struggles in Norfolk, goes down to Bowie, and finishes the season in the Eastern League playoffs, and you think this guy has totally fallen off the map, and then <laughs> a miraculous climb all the way back up to being an all-star starter uh, and hitting 320 and, and you know, Obviously, he's one of the better hitters in baseball right now. So right. it can happen. It's just unlikely that it does happen. And th for that reason, though, we are not giving up by any stretch on Dean Kramer. He's still only 25 years old. We still think he has all the potential in the world. And it, like you said, Brendan, the stuff is there. So he still has the high ceiling that we expected uh, him to have. However, he does have to get some things right over the final month of the season. I don't know what how you do that. I, I don't know what the plan is or should be. I'm not going to make any kind of suggestions here, but he has to get things right. And the hope is after this kind of disaster of a year for him, that he comes back in 2022 and has it figured out because we know that he can be a fixture in this rotation. Yeah. He's, he's really just got to figure out the off speed stuff. I think is probably the biggest thing with Dean Kramer. I mean, the spin rates are similar. A lot of the things are similar. The one big difference that jumps out, 
with Kramer is that his curveball seems to have gotten a lot worse from 2020 to 2021. That pitch was so good. It was. It was. His expected Woba in 2020 for that curveball that weighted on base average was 256. In 2021, it was up to 355. And that's the biggest jump with a singular pitch. But I don't know. Does that explain that big of a jump in ERA? Not really. Right. It's, it's again, we don't we can't sit from our, our seats and, and kind of diagnose right. it. It's tough to tell. Uh, but the hope is that he can come back uh, at some point. All right. We talked about Dean Kramer. Other guys, Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells, the two lefties. Uh, Lowther, the number nine prospect in the Orioles system. Alexander Wells, the number 17 prospect in the Orioles system. Lowther, 25. Wells, 24. We're not panicking with either of these guys. Um, However, they've both struggled in the short amount of time. We've seen flashes from them, but they've both struggled in Baltimore. They both made their debuts this year and been used in various roles, uh, and they've gotten hit around a little bit. Yeah, not panicking on either Zach Lowther or Alexander Wells, but again, it's, it's a similar situation where we were coming into the season and we said, Okay, here's this kind of jumble of pitching prospects from, you know, 8 to 15, where you've got Mike Bauman, Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells, Kevin Smith, Kyle Bradish. And it was the thinking of, well, if two or three of these guys succeeds at the major league level, you've got yourself a pretty solid pitching rotation once Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, and then you've already got John Means there. Once that all comes together, like, that's a great rotation. The problem is... Some of the guys have been succeeding in the minor leagues, like Kevin Smith and Kyle Bradish, but Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells so far, two of the guys that were in that jumble, have gotten the chance to make their major league debuts and have not impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lowther so far a 1080 ERA and just eight and a third innings pitched. Uh, in Baltimore, he did have an emergency start, but uh, 730 ERA and seven starts with Norfolk. Alexander Wells, 764 ERA in five games with Baltimore. 419 ERA in 10 games with Norfolk. And again, what's less concerning uh, is the performance in Baltimore because that's a big step up. I get that. And, and you know, you're it's rare that you see a guy hit the ground running immediately right. in the big leagues. The more concerning thing is the struggles that they've had in Norfolk. Yes. Uh, and Lowther is currently experiencing in- injuries out with a strained shoulder. The hope is he's, he's going to come back uh, in 2021. Um I think that another excuse we could make for these guys is that in Baltimore, they were used in as a reliever and a starter at different times. Uh, remember, Zach Lowther had to make that emergency start against the Red Sox. Alexander Wells has had to make an emergency start. Uh, so that probably throws things off. They're going back and forth between two different places in Norfolk and Baltimore. That can throw guys off. They're not getting a start every fifth and sixth day in Norfolk. Like, uh, you know, other prospects like Grayson Rodriguez or D.L. Hall or those guys. So that can be an explanation. Um, but it is still concerning to see them struggle. Yeah, Alexander Wells looked decent at the major league level. I don't think that seven six four ERA is completely a reflection of how well he pitched at the major league level based on the fact that he had not been pitching all that well in AAA and had found most of his success in his minor league career at AA Bowie. I think both of them just need more time in AAA Norfolk because I think they went to Baltimore and pitches that were usually working against AA competition just weren't working against major league competition, which seems really obvious when you say it out loud. So I think both of them just need a little bit more time in AAA. I wouldn't be surprised if both of them start 
this next year at AAA Norfolk, give them hopefully a few months, and then at that time, maybe you can call them up to the rotation, maybe even the bullpen if you need. Yeah, this is going to be a massive offseason for a lot of guys yes. to just kind of figure stuff out. And and even, uh, you know, we don't have to talk about him too much, but Keegan Aiken, another guy who was a former top 30 prospect in the system who has been bouncing around between Norfolk and Triple, uh, Norfolk and Baltimore, been bouncing between the bullpen and the rotation and just can't find a home just yet. And that is, he's in the same exact category. He's a year older than these guys. He's 26, whereas these guys are 24 and 25. But those four names, Kramer, Lowther, Wells, and Aiken, just one or two of them need yeah. to figure something out uh, because we know that odds are one or two of them will and can be a piece in that rotation like you mentioned, Brendan. Right. Uh, all right. We talked about injuries. We talked about performance. Now is a group of guys who have struggled with both injuries and performance. Uh, the two guys who we thought would debut, we thought were sure things to debut in 2021. We thought, well, maybe Adley Rutschman, you know, but we thought definitely Yusniel Diaz. We thought definitely Ryland Bannon. Uh, there are spots still earmarked on this roster for those guys. It's not like, you know, they can't, if they were great in Norfolk, that they were being blocked by somebody. If they were great in Norfolk, they would have made their debuts already. The problem is they have missed a lot of time and they have really struggled uh, offensively in particular in Norfolk. Yeah, Yusniel Diaz in particular, he was on track to be ahead of Ryan McKenna yeah. in terms of getting promoted to the major league level and just did not play well enough to do that. Ryan McKenna simply outperformed him at AAA and has been performing decently well at the major league level. Yusniel Diaz is one of those prospects that just doesn't really make sense as to why they're struggling yeah. because he is a really good prospect i mean he has all the tools he has speed he has power he can theoretically hit well for contact he's a pretty good fielder he's hitting 167 in triple a norfolk in the 22 games that he was there and 179 in double a buoy in the 11 games that he's played there his ops is right around 500 in triple a he had 27 strikeouts and six walks in those 22 games i don't really get what is going on with Yusniel Diaz? I think it, if you can blame anything in terms of his performance, I suppose it would just be tough to try to play. Maybe he's playing through injuries that he's been dealing with throughout the season, and maybe that's hindering him. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's tough to tell with Yusniel Diaz. Yeah, I mean, this is why we're not scouts and we're not talent right. evaluators, because you look at him physically and you say, this guy should be hitting 25, 30 home runs at the big league level. At this point, he's already huge. He's already jacked. He's got incredible bat speed. Uh, he's fast. He can play a good defense uh, in one of the corner outfields and maybe even theoretically in center, like you said. He is a legit five-tool prospect, but he hasn't put any of them together yet. No one tool has jumped off the map yet for him and yeah. has has pushed him uh, to where he should be at this point, and it is frustrating because you see the guy and you think he has all the potential in the world. And I know it's frustrating, and that's something that Mike Elias has said before, too, is, is just you see this guy and you think he should be dominating, and yet he is not. And he is still 24 years old. I know he's been in the system for several years now. Remember when he was traded from the Dodgers system in the Manny Machado deal? He was still young. He's 21 at that point, I guess, in 2018. So he's still only 24 years old. But 
The injuries have been concerning. He missed a lot of time with turf toe. He's played only 20 games, 22 games in Norfolk. Injuries have been a persistent issue in his minor league career, and he just is not putting all of those tools together yet. I, I don't, I'm not taking it off, you know, ruling it out that he ever will, but he has to start putting those together now because other guys, like you said, Ryan McKenna has already made the jump. Yeah. Uh, you, you have a couple guys on his heels. You have uh, Colton Kowser is going to be flying up through the Oriole system. You have three guys in double-A in buoy in Zach Watson, Johnny Reiser, and Kyle Stowers who all could hop him yeah. uh, in, in timeline-wise. Heck, Hudson Haskin is in single-A, and even he could hop him because he was the college bat. Like, Robert Newstrom is having the season that we expected Yuzniel Diaz to have. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's he's performing incredibly well and hitting the ball a million miles uh, in in home run distance in AAA right. Norfolk, that should have been using LDS. And it's frustrating to, especially looking at, at this group of prospects, we're looking at using the LDS. We talked about Dean Kramer. We're going to talk a little bit about Ryland Bannon. It's really easy to look at that Manny Machado trade in kind of a little bit of revisionist history and say that the Orioles got fleeced. Yusniel no, Diaz was no, 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 no. a dude in that Dodgers system. I mean, he was a great prospect. Dean Kramer was one of their better better pitching prospects. Ryland Bannon was a really solid prospect that could play all over the infield. The Orioles, I think, did well in that Manny Machado trade. They've got prospects that should be performing well, and it's just kind of this group that seems to have fallen off a little bit. Yeah, I'm not I'm not willing to make any kind of judgment on the Manny Machado deal just yet you can right. judge it on the day and say they got good theoretical value and then you can judge it in 10 years and say these players turned out to be good or not on the day of the trade and we still stay you know stand on this side where we say they got good theoretical value the players have to turn out i'm not ready to make a, de- a decision on that trade where i stand on that until we see use neil diaz and rylan bannon debut until we see these guys be older than 25 26 years old right and actually do things and also consider Manny Machado is still is not on the Dodgers anymore I know he helped them get to the World Series uh but you know that's let's it was half a season of Manny Machado right it was, it was three months of Manny Machado so um let's well you know again we can relitigate that for another day but I'm not ready to make any kind of decision one way or the other uh on that kind of deal right but Bannon is another one that has really been struggling both with performance and with injuries. Entering last night's game, he was hitting 137 with an on-base percentage just over 230. He was slugging just over 260, and he had 33 strikeouts. Yeah, not good. Not good from Ryland Bannon. This is somebody who we thought could be, he could be the Orioles' starting second baseman. He could be the Orioles' starting third baseman heading into the season. Maybe he was going to get called up in June, July, because he seemed to be somebody that was just, he was kind of a safe prospect, honestly, because he could hit for contact pretty well. He could play two positions that the Orioles needed. He seemed like the kind of guy that was a slam dunk to make his debut for the O's this year, and he just has not performed yeah, in it, AAA. I mean, a, a kind of high floor, low ceiling kind of prospect. Right. Uh, we thought that that would at least get him to Baltimore this year, considering he had already gotten his feet wet in Norfolk in 2019. Yeah. So he, you know, obviously 2020 spent some time at the alternate site, but we thought at this point, you know, the other guys, when you talk about Wells and Lowther, they never even got to AAA in 2019. They spent the whole year with Bowie. So you understand if, you know, their first, very first exposure to AAA, they struggle. 
this guy's already gotten his feet wet in AAA. And for him to be struggling at this point, and again, he fits into the injury plus performance category because he suffered a uh, oblique injury and that has kept him out for a while. Uh, but you would hope that he would put some things together because I think that's what the Orioles were hoping. I think that's part of the reason they didn't put as many resources into the infield this year as they maybe could have is because they were expecting Ryland Bannon hoping that he would be with this team mid-season. Yeah, because he had a theoretical high floor. Like you said, he was a high floor, low ceiling kind of prospect. I don't think Ryland Bannon, we weren't expecting him to be anything more than even an average starter at the major league level. At the very least, he was going to be a solid utility guy that could play second base or third base in a pinch if you needed him to. But he hasn't even gotten up to that floor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's still only 25. So again, age is not a concern here. It's not like he's 26 or 27. But this is going to be a big month and a half for him. Yeah. This is going to be a big offseason for him. And one other guy that has struggled with both injury and uh, performance is Adam Hall. Of the three of these guys, I'm least concerned about Adam Hall because he is still 22 years old. He's the number 11 prospect in the Orioles system. Higher ceiling guy in Adam Hall. That's that's ref- why it's reflected in his top prospect rating because he has elite speed. He's stolen 24 bags so far uh, in just 61 games in Aberdeen. So he's at a lower level. The hope is that the bat comes along because it hasn't gotten there yet. And he's a small guy who is just, he's 22. He's not built up physically yet. But the hope is that he would be hitting a little bit better than a 251 average and just a 683 OPS with just three homers in 61 games with Aberdeen because, you you know, it, it, it helps to be have elite speed, but at some point you need to put up better numbers at the plate if, if you're going to be moved up through the Orioles system. Yeah, I think we were hoping to potentially see Adam Hall at double-A buoy at this point in his career. And look, you can be a small second baseman. Nick Madrigal has played really yeah. well, but Nick Madrigal makes really good contact, and he doesn't strike out a lot. Adam Hall has 76 strikeouts in 61 games. You can be an undersized, speedy second baseman center field type. You just can't strike out 76 times in 61 games. You're not Joey Gallo hitting 40 home runs a year and striking out that often. You can't do that if you're a contact guy that's not going to hit for a lot of power. So Adam Hall absolutely has to get those contact numbers up right now he's only hitting 250 like you said OPS just over 680 he's just not he doesn't have enough power to warrant saying it's fine that he's only hitting 250 and is striking out a ton and another guy who if again if I've done my math correctly has to be added to the 40-man roster this coming offseason it's less of a concern when you're talking about DL Hall uh being added to the 40-man roster because he's only going to be two stops away from the big leagues Adam Hall being added to the 40-man roster, he's pretty far from the big leagues at this point. Yeah. If he's still has an OPS under 700 in high A, are you going to start him in double A next year? Or are you going to start him back in high A next year? So, you know, that is is a little bit of a tougher decision for the Orioles. I think, especially considering what happened with Zach Pop, they're going to add him. You just can't afford to lose your number 11 overall prospect in your system. However, um, it's it's tougher to swallow because you know that he's Adam Hall's almost definitely not going to make his debut in 2022. Yeah, he's got to at least perform decently well in double-A buoy next year Yeah, to warrant 
continuing to be on that 40-man roster and hopefully making his major league debut at some point. Uh, Corey on Facebook yeah. saying, uh, "Let's talk about some overperformers." And, in the and I don't blame him. We've been we've been ragging on the the. We have, yeah. but in fairness, I think in past podcasts we have talked a lot about the overperformers in the let's minor hit leagues. On them real quick, though. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, uh, how about the fact that Colton Kowser is uh, off to a great start in, in yeah. the uh, uh, cl- complex league? They changed the name of it this year. I think it's the Florida, Florida complex, complex League, league. Uh, down in Sarasota. He's already got two homers in like five games. He's had like yep. three games rained out. All, also. Uh, he is exactly what they expected him to be at this point. Contact bat has a little bit of pop. He should be. He's 21 years old, so he should be dominating the Florida Complex yes. League, considering he played it, uh, you know, college ball at Sam Houston State and was dominant there. So he's doing exactly what he needs to do. I expect him to be called up to uh, low A or single A Delmarva rather at some point, and we will be definitely making the trip with Mass and All Access uh, down to. We've been. Uh, putting off a two-hour drive down for quite a while now. We we got to stop. We got to yeah. make this trip. And if and, Colton Kowser's there, we got to do it. Uh, I expect him it to do for the Orioles to do just what they did with Adley Rutschman with Colton Kowser here. They had Adley Rutschman playing like six games in in Florida, and we're like, he's good. <laughs> he's good. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Just just move him on up. And if you recall, Adley Rutschman started in Florida, then went to low single A at that point Aberdeen. Yep. And then went to single a delmarva so he got exposure to three levels uh in in 2019 so maybe colton Kowser, you start him in florida move him on up to delmarva see what he does there and maybe who knows aberdeen yeah i would be surprised if colton Kowser hits aberdeen this year but i think there's a pretty there's a good chance he goes to at least delmarva so far he i think he has to i yes. think he, he it, the season like we said longer minor league season i think he's going to yes uh how about kobe mayo also Another guy I saw mentioned in our comments who part of the reason that uh, part of the uh, benefit of going under slot early in that 2020 draft was that it, they were able to save some money and, and sign a top-notch high school prospect in Kobe Mayo. He's hitting the ball really well in Florida as well. Yeah, 19 years old. He's got a ton of power. He doesn't profile at any high leverage defensive position. He's probably going to be a power-hitting third baseman. You would take a power-hitting third baseman in Baltimore right now. So Kobe Mayo, still a long ways away from the major leagues. He's probably not going to make his debut for another three or four years. But he's 19. He's showing a lot of promise, and hopefully we'll see him at Delmarva soon as well. And how about Jordan Westbrook? Oh, yes. One of the more fun players that I've seen, uh, that, that more exciting. I mean, this guy has, we talked about him having a maybe lower ceiling. This guy's flying up through the, the minor league system. He looks ready for double A at this point. I mean, he's he started the season with uh, Delmarva. They gave him just 20 games there. He hit 366, and they said, now nah, you're good. Uh, head on up to high A Aberdeen, and he's hitting 292 there with eight homers in 56 games. He's got an 882 OPS while bouncing back and forth between shortstop and second base. Maybe you can play him at theoretically third base. Jordan Westberg, a top 10 prospect in the Orioles system, this guy might be the more underrated prospect in this system. He doesn't draw the same attention that maybe a Yusniel Diaz does because he hasn't been in the system for as long, but this guy's going to be good. Yeah, Jordan Westberg has a high floor because at college he was a good contact bat. He hit for a little bit of power, and he was a solid defensive shortstop. 
So I think everybody just thought that he had a pretty high floor, but he also has a decently high ceiling. I think his ceiling is an above-average starting shortstop at the Major League level. He's flying through the system right now, as you said. I think next year, start of next year, we might see him at Double A Bowie, and then maybe he could even work his way up to Norfolk at some point next year if he continues to perform. I don't think we'll see him in the majors next year. Probably, Probably the not. year after if he does debut. But Jordan Westberg, really encouraging so far. And Gunnar Henderson has played well as well. Another shortstop in the O's system. Yeah, he, he dominated Delmarva. They moved him up to Aberdeen, where he's had some struggles in 39 games. Gunnar Henderson is hitting just 208. Still walks a bunch. He's got a 326 on-base percentage. Um, has four homers in 39 games there. And is so young. I mean, Gunnar Henderson was a high school player uh, when he was drafted in 2019. He's 20 years old. So, you know. We'll, we'll definitely pump the brakes when we see him struggling in high A. Yes. Uh, but maybe if he turns things on for the final couple months, he could be in double A next year. Yeah. Uh, and then Hudson Haskin, another guy, a college bat taken in the 2020 draft who moved up quickly like Jordan Westberg, a little bit later than Westberg, but also moved up to high A Aberdeen uh, because he was dominating low A Delmarva. Yeah, some other guys just to run through quickly that have been performing well. Kyle Bradish has been pitching very well. Kevin Smith has been pitching very well. Kyle Stowers was yeah. off to a really hot start. He was hitting a ton of home runs. He's he's a little bit come back to earth in Double A Bowie, but bit. that was to be expected. He's still hitting like two eighty. Yes. Um, and uh, a former second-round pick out of Stanford. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of prospects that are still very encouraging in the Orioles system. We don't want to make it seem like. The rebuild is a failure and there's no good prospects and everything's got to come crashing down. There's still a lot of good prospects and a lot to be excited for. Can't wait for somebody to clip you saying that and cut <laughs> out you saying, we don't want to make it seem like, yes. and then just cl cut up that clip and use it Perfect. against you in, a, in the future. Perfect. That's going to be fun. Can't wait. Uh, but still, also, keep in mind, still some time left in this minor league season. Still a full month and then we have the playoffs. Uh, so we expect, you know, the, all these guys that we mentioned that are struggling, they have time to turn things around. Uh, so, going to be exciting. We will definitely be doing a lot of minor league trips over the last minor, month and a half here of the season. Uh, we'll definitely be going to Delmarva at some point. We're going to get some playoff action, it seems like, in Bowie, knock yeah. on wood. That's going to be exciting. Imagine Grayson Rodriguez starting a playoff game. We saw him starting a playoff game last year, uh, or two years ago now, in Delmarva. So, now getting a start in, in Bowie. I'm imagining a raucous crowd, a lot of... Uh, a lot of gas cans. Gas cans, yeah. It's going to be fun. Uh, so we will be back next week talking more minor league, talking more major league. He's at Brendan Morty uh, on Twitter. Brendan Mortensen is his, is his name. That's the one. That's the name. name was too long for Twitter. Uh, we'll see. We'll keep you updated as well as to how game one of our softball league matchup goes yeah. next week. We'll have some stats ready for I you. I know everybody is just that's, really excited about it. That's what keeps you going, you know. Right. That's, that's why that's everyone what is keeps listening. you subscribing. Yep. For, yeah, exactly. I'm at Paul Mancano. Thanks to Amy Jennings for pushing all the right buttons behind the scenes. Thank you to you for following along, commenting again. You can watch our show live on Facebook, Twitter, in Instagram. Nope, we don't <laughs> do an Instagram live show. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, and then, of course, listen to it after the fact on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will be back in a week, and we'll see you then. 